Hello and welcome to Dog Talk with me, your host, Nick Benger, the ultimate podcast to help you take the next step in your dog training journey by learning from the best experts from around the world. Hello everyone, welcome to the first podcast of 2021 and it is prime time for anyone that's thinking about making changes, whether they're thinking about becoming a, or you're thinking about becoming a dog industry professional, whether that's a dog trainer, dog walker or anything else, or maybe you just kind of want to get your business in order because this podcast, this episode is going to be the perfect one for you because I'm interviewing Veronica Boutel and Veronica is the former director of of behavior and training for the San Francisco SPCA. She has been helping dog professionals create their dream businesses through dog biz since 2003. Veronica is the author of How to Run a Dog Business and The Business of Dog Walking. Plus, she was the co-author of Minding Your Dog Business and writes for multiple industry journals, including regular business columns in PPG's Barks from the Guild and the APDT's Chronicle of the Dog. She's a sought-after speaker at conferences and dog training schools across the country and internationally, teaching uh, positive reinforcement dog professionals how to help more dogs in countries ranging from North America to South America to Europe to Australia. So she is someone that is... I mean, you're going to be hard-pressed to find someone that is more experienced when it comes to guiding people through uh, the process of creating a successful dog business so without further ado let's get into it well hey welcome to the show veronica it's such a good so i'm so glad to have an opportunity to talk to you um, because i've heard so much about you over the years and yeah you just i think that especially for americans when they think of dog business you're the person that they think of so it's really cool to get the opportunity to speak to you thank you likewise thank you for having me i've been looking forward to this yes uh yeah and me too me too because this ties in uh you know two things that i'm really interested in which is dog training and business and before we started the podcast we were kind of starting to stray into that territory so uh let's let's just do what we were going to do and say so how did you kind of first get into you know, into business, really. Uh, I presume that dog training came first. Yeah, it did. I was um, <laughs> I was director of behavior and training at the San Francisco SPCA. And back then, that was when Gene Donaldson had the original Academy for Dog Trainers at the SPCA and was part of my department. And I had been a grad myself. And we <laughs> we were watching every year. There were four cadres of people who came from all over the world to attend that program. Amazing dog trainers. And we watched year after year as they went out into the world and fell on their faces. And we would follow up with them and find out they had gone back to previous careers that they had been really happy to see in the rearview mirror, or they had taken part-time jobs because they couldn't make ends meet. And I kept saying, somebody should do something about this. Somebody should do something about this. And uh, at some point, I just decided that we were going to do something about it. And so when my time at the SPCA was up, we started uh, DogBiz, which at the time was called Dog Tech. And the whole purpose, the whole mission was to teach 
positive reinforcement dog trainers how to run businesses because they weren't failing because they didn't know how to train dogs and they weren't failing because they didn't know how to take care of their clients. They just didn't know how to take care of the business side of things. So that's what we did. Um, and we started in 2003 and Originally thinking we would just serve the graduates of you know that program in the in the San Francisco Bay Area and you know here we are doing it around the world now. What I love, I've heard you tell that story before, and what I really love about it is it's you know it's one of those stories where you uh, kind of admit that you failed at some point. Right. Like I think sometimes people, you know, especially with, you know, people that have some kind of profile in the industry, you just assume that everything has gone like perfectly for their entire career. Um, so I always love hearing stories where it's like, well, this went wrong, but then this led to this, you know, and because I think that's really much more realistic about how things you know, a much more realistic route that things happen, you know, if something goes wrong and then that leads you to change it. And that was my own personal uh, situation when I started getting into business, you know, I think probably like a, you know, like a lot of people, I was probably like the people that, you know, um, did the Gene Donaldson stuff where when I first started, uh, dog training, I was just incredibly broke, <laughs> you know, <laughs> couldn't, couldn't afford petrol, couldn't afford to like drive around and stuff. And then like, I just kind of hit rock bottom where it's like, I can't do this anymore. Um, I need to, I can't keep putting off learning about business, you yeah. know, like I thought that oh, that's something I can do later. Um, but it's like, actually, no, I need, I need to like have a certain amount of money to survive. Um, and, and that led me to then, uh, start researching about business. And then I became as hooked on business as, as I am on dog training. So this is why I'm so excited to do this podcast with you. Well, it's funny too, isn't it though? Because usually when people start businesses, I think in most industries, people go into it with a business mind. They go into it with an entrepreneurial spirit and they study the skills and the concepts they need. I think in our industry, that always comes as an afterthought, right? We do we do this work because we're passionate about it and we come to it with more of an altruistic standpoint. And then you become a dog trainer and you realize, well, if I'm going to do this for a living, I'm going to have to own a business because it's not like there are jobs all over the place for dog trainers. And so then, you know, there's that bit like what you experienced where you get into it for a while and then you realize, oh gosh, there's this whole other skill set that I'm going to have to develop if I'm going to be able you know, to, to make my living at this. Yeah. Well, I, um, you know, I was at that stage, you know, I was quite young. I was probably in my late teens. Actually, no, maybe I was a bit older than that, but, um, you know, my whole goal was like, uh, so super naive, right? But in the interest <laughs> of honesty, I was like, I want to be the best dog trainer in the world, right? I want to like learn everything. I want to go to all these workshops. I want to become the best. I want to be a really good, uh, I'm quite a competitive person. And then, um, and I just kind of assumed like when you're really good at something that oh, I just, you know, like if you get good, that will solve the problem because right. then everyone will seek you out. Um, which is kind of like is not quite as true as maybe it first seems, right? But I, I do really want to talk about something that you kind of touched on there, which is uh, you know, I think there's a difference between running a business and like Seth Godin, who's a famous marketer, he talks about the difference between entrepreneurs and freelancers, right? And I don't think dog trainers are quite freelancers, but like they're consultants and it's kind of going down a similar line. Whereas like, I don't really want to build, or this is what a lot of people's view is. 
I don't want to build a business, right? Like I don't really, I don't see myself running a business. I just want to have enough clients that I'm happy, right? That I can kind of pay my bills. I'm living comfortably. Like I don't want to employ people or, you know, deal with all of that kind of stuff. Does that kind of resonate with you as well? Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, we don't we don't usually make that distinction in language, but yeah, I think there are absolutely dog trainers out there who have sort of, you know, that vision of taking over the world and who, you know, build larger businesses and have staff and that sort of thing, but the vast majority of dog trainers are independent operators and and I think right that that we often don't we really don't conceive of it as a business. It's just, it's this thing we're passionate about that we, as you say, just kind of want to do enough to cobble together a living. And, um, but I think what ends up happening, I think why, why people are finally sort of driven to, you know, to, to take a more active approach to it is that that's very stressful after a while, isn't it? You know, kind of living on the edge and, you know, just barely making enough to make ends meet. And it, it takes some of the the real joy out of the work. And, and, you know, part of how we see our work is to give people the skill sets that they need to build the success that they deserve so that they can really focus on what they're really good at and what they love and serving people and serving people to the best of their ability and, 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 and the dogs as well, of course. And, um, but, but yeah, it is, it is so interesting how much we resist the notion of becoming business people. And I think that, some of this, and I see this everywhere I travel, it doesn't matter whether we're working with people in the States or in any of the, the countries we've been to, that there's just this, I think part of the resistance is that there's some sort of sense that it's somehow untoward or tacky or um, just that there's something wrong and dirty about making money doing something you love, about making money you know, helping dogs and their and their people. And that's that's um, you know sort of a perception we've been battling for you know nearly 20 years now. Yeah, I, I completely resonate with that because you know, through my own journey I've ended up helping and and talking to and kind of working with a lot of other dog trainers that want to improve their businesses as well. And one of the things that drives me insane right is for me one of the biggest revelations when i was kind of learning my own way was uh at the end of the session is yeah well i guess this depends a little bit on your model but at the end of my first initial consultation we're going to have a conversation about do you want to continue doing training do you want to pay for a package do you what do you want to do right um but so many dog trainers just don't have that conversation right? yep. <laughs> and it's so frustrating because just having that conversation like that, like five minutes that you take there makes so much of a difference to uh, how much, you know, your customers continue on with you and, and, and stuff like that. Because as soon as you let them get in the car and leave without having that conversation, they get caught up in other things and they just forget to email you. They forget to ring you or whatever. And a lot of the times you're never going to see them again. And that's not because they didn't enjoy the session. It's just because you didn't set anything up. Um, yeah. or maybe they're expecting you to have that conversation and it never happens. They're expecting <laughs> right. you to get in touch with them. Right. Um, and that drives me insane when people don't have that conversation, because I remember I was listening to you talk about this as well. Um, which is like, it's not only about your own, 
your your own kind of bank, your the the, the money that you're making, it's also the value to the client. Like right. if you sign people up for a package or a course or whatever you want to call it, right? You're giving them a much higher percentage of seeing the problem through than if you just if you don't have that conversation. So you're doing them a disservice as well, right? It's so true. It's so true. We we spend a lot of time coaching around this with our individual clients and in our with our Thrive members and um, when we're you know speaking at conferences and things like that. And and it's so interesting because we're so afraid to bring the conversation to that moment of decision making. And there's something about where we feel, I think trainers often feel like they're being pushy or um, inappropriate or they're putting pressure on the client. And we forget that first of all, the client reached out to us because they wanted help. And that as you said too, that you know, one of the things we always try to remind trainers is that the more time the client has with you, the more benefit they get and the more help the dog gets. And I think that it's really, it's, it's, it's really actually tragic that we, that we don't develop the skill set of, of a really comfortable, appropriate a conversation and learning that script, learning how to, how to handle that moment so that the, the client and the dog get the full help that they need. I mean, I, I think it's, you know, part, part of what really breaks my heart about that is that somebody calls in a trainer for an initial consultation and then doesn't, you know, doesn't get that opportunity to carry on with the trainer. Now, if the problem persists, there's this perception that either it's a bad dog, right? You know, I quote unquote hired a trainer and nothing's wrong, you know, nothing's fixed. The dog's still doing what they're doing, or it was a bad trainer, or it was the methodology. And so then they go elsewhere, which is harmful to the dog. I mean, we, one of the things we really try to teach the trainers we work with is that this isn't about you being money grabbing. This is about you setting up the client and the dog and your own business as well for success. And if you're not comfortable doing it for yourself and your, your own pocketbook and your business, then, then do it for the client and the dog because it benefits them just as much, if not more. Yeah, you mentioned scripts there, and I, I think that's really an important topic as well. Because for me, I don't have like scripts in that I haven't written anything down. Um, like uh, magicians use this word called patter, which is like the way that you talk through things, and I really like that that term patter. Um, and I think for me, I guess I don't really know when it developed, but at some point, I guess I found a patter that worked for me. And now, if I was, if you kind of heard me on the phone talking to someone, like it sounds when we start having conversation about booking services and stuff like that, it sounds pretty much the same with everyone. Cause I have like a script, like an unwritten script. Um, but dog trainers definitely have scripts anyway, and they just don't realize they have scripts, right? Because when they're, when they're training uh, clients and they're explaining how you teach a dog to come back or how you teach a dog to stay, most dog trainers will have done that hundreds and hundreds of times and they will have dis developed unconscious scripts, like things that they find themselves saying and explaining it in a certain way over and over again. And really all you're doing is just transferring what you do there to what you do when you're, uh, you know, talking about sales or, or whatever, right? It's so true. And 
unfortunately, dog trainers also have business scripts that they're not fully cognizant of too. And a lot of times those business scripts are very undermining the way that they do handle the close of a conversation or, um, you know, conversations about money and costs and things like that. You know, they, we all have the, I love that word you used, you know, the, the kind of the, the pattern that we use, the patterns that we fall into. Um, it's just that you know, part, part of what we do with a lot of our clients and our members is to try to help them identify what, the, what they are doing and then to rebuild it in a way that's more uh, productive toward, you know, toward taking a client toward what they know the client and the dog would really benefit from, but doing that in a way that feels natural and non-salesy and non-pushy so that they can feel really comfortable with it. And we, we talk about script in that, and that for a lot of trainers, because they are having to break old pattern habits to create new ones, it can be helpful sometimes to, to write it down and to actually kind of work on memorizing and practicing it a little bit until it becomes second nature, because I, I really do think it's, it's a, it's interesting when we work with trainers who are brand new, it's a lot easier to build these good habits because they're not having to break old ones and replace them. And so it's a little bit simpler, you know, to teach them kind of, you know, the process that we teach for initial consults. Um, but it's incredibly empowering to trainers that have been doing this work for a long time to learn a new process for it and to see the, the package sales you know, skyrocket. I mean, to see that, you know, the, the conversion rate that they have goes so much higher. And then to have also not just that financial stability, but that incredible sense of, of um, you know, just, you know, contentment and efficacy in seeing the difference in their case outcomes because they're getting so much more time with each client and dog. I think that's what really ends up, um, you know, I mean, you know, obviously every you know, everybody's happy to have an increase in income, but when you do this work primarily out of passion, out of altruism, I think where the real reward comes in is seeing the change in, you know, seeing the change in outcome and getting, you know, there's, I think one of the things that really contributes to a lot of trainer burnout is, is that gap between what you know was possible to get done with the client, what you know was possible to accomplish for a dog and what you actually were given the opportunity to do. And that gap sometimes is so large and so disappointing and distressing that it, you know, that's part of why we teach all this too, is to close that gap and keep trainers in the game longer, both because they can financially afford to do it, but also because they're not struggling with, you know, that, that kind of emotional burnout as well. Yeah. I mean, there's so many interesting points there, but one thing that you said, um, which I hadn't considered is like people will already have, or some people will already have uh, like counterproductive patterns, you know, uh, or ways that they kind of end sessions that they haven't, you know, really figured that don't serve their business. Right. And I, I can just kind of imagining as you say that, you know, people that uh, are just trying to get out of the room at the end because they don't want the uncomfortable, like they don't <laughs> want the uncomfortable conversation, you know, and it's like, uh, like I can, I've, I can just imagine someone being like that, like, um, all right, I'll, um, all right, well, email me if you're interested or something like that, you know, right, just, right, just exactly. kind of leaving it open-ended. Um, but, and, and that kind of reminds me uh, when I was, uh, um, again, you know, some of the things I've heard you talk about, like a lot of it, when you really boil it down, it seems to come down to a lack of confidence over and over again. Like so many of the issues that 
are really prevalent. Like when you really boil down, well, what's causing this? It's just a lack of confidence. You know, like I've heard you talk about the fact that a lot of dog trainers don't see themselves as skilled workers or professionals, um, or they don't charge enough, or they don't, you know, like so many of these issues are just lack of confidence, right? Which then impacts their behavior and causes them to have a business that fails. It's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And and I and I suspect that 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 the origin of that again is it, it's interesting to think about the kinds of the kinds of people and personality who are drawn to certain types of work. You know, and and, and I have m- met very very few dog trainers who came to this because they'd always wanted to, you know, I've always wanted to own a business. I'm, you know, super entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial by nature. And Hey, I think I'll be a dog trainer. It never happens that way. Right. We tend to come into this. I I think this is very much a helper profession. People don't come into it expecting to make money. And so I think that, um, that there's just, there's just not that sense of, of entrepreneurial, spirit and so then there's all it's always scary when you're operating without a skill set right and we come in and we spend all of this time like you were saying earlier you know becoming the best dog trainer we can possibly be and attending (laughs) conferences and going to schools and adding more letters after our names and reading books and watching videos and all this sort of thing we get really good at the dog training side but then but but we don't build up the skill sets that we need to feel confident on the business side of things. And so when you also, when you come into something like this without those skill sets and without that, you know, that, that business drive, then you're faced with all sorts of discomfort. Things like you said, you know, there's the sales bit we've been talking about. You mentioned rates, there's marketing, you know, all of those topics that give dog trainers the heebie-jeebies. And it's interesting because when I travel to other countries, people kind of assume, I hear a lot of people assume that, that, that dog trainers in the States don't experience this because, you know, we're, you know, you know people see the States as this, you know, on, on entrepreneurial juggernaut, right? <laughs> but, it's, but it's not true. I mean, yeah, you know, there's a lot of entrepreneurialism in the States and, and there's a lot of people who have, you know, that drive and that personality, but that's not generally who's drawn to dog training. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what country you're in. And so, yeah, it, it, but the thing is, and, and one of the, one of the things that we have definitely found over the nearly 20 years we've been doing this is that that confidence, it's, it's about skill building. I mean, it's, it's just about learning. This is, this is, I think one of the things that's so complicated about dog training is that you have to build all of that skill and content knowledge in the training field. You have to build it all in the teaching field too, right? So much of this is about coaching and teaching and instructing, whether it's one-on-one or in classes. And then there's this whole skill set on the business side as well. And when we first started this endeavor, uh, back in the early 2000s, I did have a little bit of fear. I wasn't sh- entirely sure like how much of this is a personality thing and how much of this is something that can be learned. But we have found without any doubt that whether it's marketing or sales or you know what, whatever area of business it is, these just are skill sets and they can be developed. And even even if you're the most shy wallflower, you know, most uncomfortable person about talking to people about money or, you know, marketing yourself or putting yourself out there, there are ways to do all of that, that can be amended to your own, 
you know, your, your own personality, your own sense of who you are and the way you want to relate to people in the world. And I think it, for me, it's been one of the most satisfying things of my career is watching clients who thought, oh, I'm never going to be able to do this. I'm never going to you know, really be able to share my training gift with the world because I'm never going to be able to go out and get clients learn that, oh, yeah, no, they can. And to become really quite comfortable and ultimately confident about it as well. Okay, like, so to jump back then, you know, um, you said that you, you, this came out of the realization that basically so many dog trainers, good dog trainers were failing. And um, so at that point, you have this realization, did you already have the business skills from somewhere else? Or did you have to go out and learn how to do it yourself? It was a bit of both. Um, I had I had owned a couple of businesses, and I had had you know I had started out as a dog walker actually, and uh, I ended up a dog trainer only because there weren't any dog walking schools. <laughs> and I had too many questions about why the dogs were doing crazy things out on the trails, and and uh, I just you know happened to be lucky enough to live across the bridge from from where Gene Donaldson was teaching. So. Um, but yeah, so I, you know, I had a walking business and a training business, and then I also ran the behavior and training department at the SBCA for three years, which, so the whole class program and private consulting program and all of that, that was uh, sort of a, a profit center for the, um, for the, uh, for the shelter was under my purview. And so I picked up a lot of those skills along the way and then, yeah, just kind of kept building on it. Right. I mean, it is, it's the sort of skill set you don't ever stop building because we had, we had a lot of problems to solve. I mean, it was, it was interesting because even bringing in the business background that um, I had and that also um, uh, my business partner, Gina had it, we still had to figure out how do we teach that to other people. And my original background was education. So that was, that was all, in, in many ways, I, I have to say, I think that was the more useful skill set has continued to be my, my most useful skill set in all of this. But, but it was interesting because we, you know, as you do, when you try something new, um, you have some successes and you, as you said at the beginning too, there's also failures, right? There were things that we tried to do that we tried to teach that we realized we're making this far too complicated and we had to sort of step back and figure out how do we break this down? There were moments of figuring out, you know, what are more trainer appropriate ways to do these things, right? You know, we're never going to get trainers to go market themselves this way. That's just too uncomfortable. It's too outside their comfort zone what kind of marketing can we look at or learn about or develop um, that that will be inside of a trainer's wheelhouse and will be successful. And there, you know, there was, so there was a lot of experimentation along the way as well. And one of the things we learned early on too is that we were, we were getting too complicated with trying to teach people really elaborate skill sets and we weren't listening. You know, we, we our earlier clients were saying to us, well, couldn't you just do this for us? Couldn't you do this? And it took us a couple of years to really hear that and realize, you know, that actually there are a lot of services and products and things like that we could create that would just create shortcuts. So they could work on these skill sets over here that they have to do because, you know, we can't be there to do those ones for them. And we can, you know, we can shortcut some things over here. So it's just, it's been a, you know, it's just been a long process. Mm. Yeah, and you kind of mentioned they're like adapting things for, you know, dog trainers. And, and we we're talking about entrepreneurship. Well, the thing is, you know, I, I really don't think that, like, I can hardly think of any dog trainers I've met that I would describe as entrepreneurs, like, very, very few right like um and we were kind of talking about that difference between entrepreneurs and whatever you want to call it right like like uh but you know just kind of people that want to 
be self-employed, right? Like I think a lot of people would just call it self-employed, sole traders, right? So once you've kind of set the goal as, you know, I just want to have enough clients that I'm happy, right? Like I'm not looking to employ people. I'm not looking to turn over a million dollars a year, right? Like I'm not looking to build like some gigantic business, right? Like I think that it becomes so much more achievable. It, and I know that's kind of hard to hear when you can't pay for anything because I've been there and it felt impossible, right? Um, but but it is a lot more achievable to do that. So I'm so what would uh, you know? What are some maybe principles or things that don't change uh, that we can kind of offer people as advice? Uh, you know, that are really struggling. So I'm going to answer that question, but first I just want to say it really is achievable. It really is. It's funny because, you know, when, when we, we travel around, we, people say this to us a lot. Oh, it's just not possible to make a living as a dog trainer. You can't make a good sustainable living as a dog trainer. And it always kind of makes me giggle because it's like, well, I've spent almost 20 years helping people do exactly that. No, it really, really is possible. And so I just, I just want to reiterate that. I want people to hear that you absolutely can. Um, and then in terms of what are some of the principles that make that happen? One of them is valuing yourself. You know, one, one of the things that that we teach over and over and over again is setting professional rates. And you said it earlier that very often dog trainers don't, they don't always conceptualize themselves as uh, skilled professionals. And, and there's this there's this deep, deep seated fear. We want to help so badly that we convince ourselves that no one's going to hire us unless it's really cheap. And we create a self-fulfilling prophecy because the reality is that if you are struggling to get clients and you come to us and you say, I just, I can't, I'm having all this trouble. I, I can't get enough clients. I'm not making a living. We will look at a number of things, but chief among the things we will look at first is the rate. What are you charging? And we are not looking to see if you're charging too much. I can honestly say that in all the years I've been doing this, I don't think I have said we need to get your rates down more than once or twice at the most. Mm. Mm. almost always dog trainers who are struggling are not charging enough. And so part of the reason they're struggling is that when they do get clients, they're not making enough from that. But the main issue is a part of why you don't get clients, right? It, it's, mm. it's, a, it's, it's an absolute opposite of what people expect. We, have, we equate cost with a value. Serious clients who want the best for their dogs, who really have a problem they want solved or who want to get off on the right you know, paw with their new puppy or dog for their, you know, for that lifetime, they are not looking for the cheapest dog trainer. They're looking for the best dog trainer. And if your rates are low, they will assume that somebody else is better than you, whether that is fair or not. And they don't, you know, they should, but they don't necessarily care about the letters after your name because they don't know what they mean. <laughs> they're just, they're going to assume that if you are cheap, you must not be as good. And so it's interesting because when we work with, with clients or you know, our Thrive members about raising rates, there's this fear. There's always this fear. I don't have enough clients as it is. If I raise my rates, I'm going to have even fewer. But I cannot think of an exception to the rule that when you raise your rates, you get more clients. It happens all the time. In fact, it's one of my favorite emails to get. Oh my God, you were right. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's so counterintuitive. And yet when you value yourself, other people value you. And so that's just something to keep in mind. And, you know, you think about 
well, I'll let that, I, I really, I, I could stay on that soapbox for the rest of the podcast, but I'll. Well, I'll I think on, that's, but, that's but imp- so critically th- important. Yeah. So as, as number one, I think you, you need to be charging, you know, enough money essentially. And like that, that is a huge problem. So many people don't charge enough. And then even if you do get enough clients, you're always going to be restricted on your, on how much money you're making and you're not going to make a lot of money. And if your goal is to, Hey, I just want to be a self-employed, I just want to employ myself. Then the only way you can ever make more money is by increasing your rates because your time is the only time, right? (laughs) So so, uh, even if, you do manage to get loads of clients, you're still not going to be earning a lot of money because you've capped yourself. Um, So, you know, I think there is even a good argument. I know people that charge, like, don't want to work with a lot of clients, you know, don't want to work less and they charge more and they have less clients, you know, like they charge a lot more. Yeah, it it is interesting though. You you have to charge a lot to get to that point. Um, I I remember, for example, because it's interesting when you raise your rates, you're going to get, you just, your, your demand will go up. And the last conference that, um, that I was speaking at before the pandemic hit, uh, one of our clients come up to, had come up to me and she said, I have a problem. I need to talk to you. I said, okay, well, let's, let's do that. And she said, um, and she, she's at a point in her career where she's really, you know, she's, she's wanting to be super picky about her clients. She wants fewer. Um, she's kind of, you know, scaling back a little bit wants more work-life balance. And so she said, so, you know, I thought, well, I'll raise my rates. And she's like, and the demand went up. And so I raised them again and the demand went up and I raised them again. (laughs) And it really, it it really does kind of work that way, but you can get to a point, you know, where, you know, it's just about, you just keep going up until you, you you finally hit that ceiling. But we actually ended up sort of putting some other things in place for her to, to try to, you know, narrow the pipeline a little bit, but, but at any rate, yeah. So self-value, I think is one of one of the ones that's that's most important um and then marketing also you know and and it's something that is such a it's such an uncomfortable idea for people but like you said in the beginning there was a sense of like well if I'm just really good at what I do people will come right and you know we've always joked that 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 build it and they will come marketing philosophy is it's an interesting movie but it doesn't make for a great marketing strategy and you know, if you exist long enough, people will finally find you, but it can take a really, really long time. And it, it really is, you know, if if you need to get off the ground faster, if you're wanting, you know, to build more stability more quickly, it is something that you have to take a more active approach to. But part of what we teach is that marketing doesn't have to be about self-aggrandizement. It doesn't have to be carnival barky. It doesn't have to be tacky or untoward or expensive there are ways to market yourself that can actually really serve your mission as well. Because what we have found is that the most effective marketing for dog trainers is what we call community marketing or um, sometimes called content marketing. But the idea that you share your knowledge and expertise, you find ways within your own skill set to share your knowledge and expertise with your community so that you are serving and educating people while they're learning about you. And so it's a much more comfortable way to do it. It feels, you know, it's, it's, it's a way to have a larger impact too. Like you said, you know, you can only serve a certain number of clients at a time. 
And so you're not going to be able to help everyone and all dogs anyway. And not everyone is going to hire a dog trainer. But through this kind of community education marketing, you're able to help dogs and help people while you're also spreading the word to people who would hire. And so so you're just putting out there that marketing doesn't have to be this ugly, uncomfortable thing. And what a lot of our Thrive members and our clients find is that when they start learning how to do this kind of marketing, they actually get hooked on it and they get geeky about it and they get excited about it because it is a way to share their knowledge and their passion. Is there other particular avenues of marketing that you think, you know, if you had to prioritize, you know, if someone comes to you, they're just starting out, look, I've got nothing. I'm just starting out. Where do I go first? Where do I start? Like, you know, am I looking towards social media platforms? Should I be handing out flyers? Like what's the best time investment for me? Yeah, it's going to be a little bit different from business to business, kind of depending on what the services are and the goals and things like that. But one frequent starting place is building referral relationships. And uh, so, you know, for example, you know, one really good veterinary clinic referral source can make an enormous difference in getting you up and off the ground, right? Um, it's something that people often feel afraid to do because, you know, again, there's that confidence issue, right? And like, you know, when, when people hear us talk about that, they think, oh God, that means I have to like somehow screw up my courage to the sticking point and walk into some clinic and introduce myself and ask them to refer to me. And you know, I am a pretty gregarious person and I am comfortable standing up on a stage in front of hundreds or thousands of people talking, but like I quit the Girl Scouts because I was so uncomfortable and embarrassed going door to door to sell the cookies. Like I am not, I don't want to walk into some place of business and introduce myself and ask for help either. You know, I, would, I don't think I could get myself to do it. We certainly don't. You know, and, and some of our clients can, and that's awesome. And if you have, you have that kind of personality, you use it and go for it. But most of us don't. And so we teach other ways of creating those relationships. We teach you know, various different kinds of strategies, for example, where you have the opportunity to reach out to a referral, a potential referral partner, whether it's a veterinary clinic or a you know, pet supply store or whatever it is, that you reach out to offer assistance to them. And there's all sorts of different strategies that think like just for one off the top of my head, for example, one of the one of the marketing uh, projects we really like is a print newsletter. Everybody thinks about email newsletters and those are great. They're great for retention marketing, but they don't do very much in the beginning because you know who's reading it other than your parents, right? And so in the beginning, you put a print newsletter out into your community that's full of great training tips and fun educational material and just you know entertaining stuff. You're again, you know, educating and, and engaging and letting people know that you're there without being pushy about it in any way. And then you walk into the vet clinic or the pet supply store and or you give them a call if you're more comfortable doing that. And you say, hey, I want to feature you in my next newsletter. Do you have five minutes for an interview? I want to put you and so then, right, you've made that connection. You've had an opportunity to introduce yourself and chat. You're doing something for them. When you print those newsletters, you're going to walk in with them in a nice stand and say, hey, I put you right on the front page. You know, where's, where would be a good place to put this to make sure everybody sees it? You're not having to ask, would you please carry my newsletter? You've done them a favor. They're happy to have them there. So there's all sorts of different strategies like that that we've developed over the years as sort of, you know, relatively low hanging fruit ways to, you know, to form relationships. Um, and so it doesn't, it doesn't have to be something, you know, big and, and scary. I think one of the big, one of the, one of the mistakes people are making these days is too heavy a reliance on social media. Um, it's absolutely it can be a, a powerful 
part of a marketing plan, but it's a mistake to think it's the marketing plan itself, especially mm, in the I beginning agree with that. when nobody knows you and knows to go follow you in the first place, yeah. right? So, yeah. so I do. So I think that that's one thing that we've been seeing a lot um, in in the last number of years is that people think they're marketing because they have a Facebook page, um, <laughs> but that you you just that's not going to be enough on its own. Well, the biggest the, the biggest issue I think I've seen with social media is people still think that uh, or people have like an over expectation of what you can get for free, right? Like, <laughs> like on, on the platforms that really are most relevant to a dog trainer's audience, which is tends to be Facebook because you have the kind of typical demographic that we're looking for, uh, like free just isn't very effective anymore. Like if you really want to uh, have a effect, you know, get uh, a return on your investment, whether that's time or money, like you really have to go paid on Facebook nowadays. I I think, or that's been my experience at least. Yeah. And I've, you know, when we launched, uh, we, it's a bit confusing, I suppose, but we kind of launched a new business, um, you know, a new dog training business. And one of the first things we did was we went quite heavy on the Facebook ads, like not really so worried about organic like went heavy on the Facebook ads, but in a very particular way. And that was, that gave us a great result. But I do think that you need to go paid um, and you need to either spend, like you either need to spend some time learning how Facebook ads work or probably employ someone that is yeah. good at it. No, I, I, I agree. And, and I do think that that's two things there. One is that I think that, that digital marketing, including Facebook ads, um, that, that that is something that's going to become more and more integral to dog training, especially you think about some of the shifts that are going on now because of the pandemic, you know, more and more dog trainers are taking things online that now can be accessed by people outside of their own immediate geographic communities. And so, you know, most of, most of the marketing that dog trainers do is local, right? Because they're serving local audiences, but now that dog trainers have gotten a taste out of necessity, <laughs> a very you know, fast paced taste of what it means to take services online, there are a lot of trainers that are re realizing that they'd like to continue to do that. And for those trainers, digital marketing is going to become you know, even more uh, you know, a critical part of the, of the package. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's, I think like we're still in pretty early days, but definitely during the pandemic, I've gone to see like when we've been allowed because it's like it's a bit of a weird tier system in the uk but like in the kind of months or the periods i have been allowed to go and see clients like i've seen a lot of clients that have been like oh i've signed up with this guy that i saw online you know like and i'm doing his online course and i never had that before like that was that's completely fresh to me um so i think that space is going to get more competitive over the next few years for sure um and, and i think that it's the online thing like, I, I also don't want to underplay social media either. Like, I do think that social media is important, but I think Absolutely. it's just more of a long-term strategy than a, yes. like, like a quick, like, I need clients quick. Um, but it's interesting because online, like, yeah, it, you know, it's going well at the moment, I think, but I really do think the big businesses are going to catch on. Like, I saw... Um, like I think this exists already in a, there's, I think there's a, quite a few companies doing this, but the other day I saw like Purina have launched their like online membership where you can access training information and veterinary information. Do you know what I mean? Like, so I think that some of these big businesses are going to be in to compete as well. And like, it's going to get, 
I don't know. It's an interesting space, I think. It is. But, you know, I think <clears throat> it, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the next five years. I agree. The one thing I that I will say about that, though, is that even if these big companies, you know, as, as they go online and start to do all these things, you have to remember that big companies were doing this already. Big companies were competing with small, independent dog trainers already, you know, the 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 Petco's and... Mm, we don't have this, Sparks though. This That's what's interesting. Like that. That's what, yeah. what makes that really interesting, though, is that you have that in the States. We don't have that in the UK. Oh, I see. Interesting, yeah. We well, don't have so, a big chain. But, so let me let, let me um, give you a little bit of peace of mind over there then in that it's interesting because, you know, independent dog trainers have been working alongside these, you know, large box store options and things like that for some time. And what we find is that the way to compete with those is to have the best rates, not the lowest rates, the higher rates, right? The way to compete with the box stores is to show people through your community marketing um, and through your rates and, you know, that, that you are the high end option. Um, because again, you know, as, as an independent operator, you don't need enormous volume. They need big volume. And so you know, they, they, you know, they have the capacity for volume um, and they can, they, can, they can run with lower rates because they have that volume and because it's not their primary revenue source. Just and so to say way, that. the yeah. way to outcompete them is to show your community, you know, is to really make it clear through your rates and through your marketing, the difference between the two. Um, so, so that you're getting the clients who are really the high end serious clients. So just, so just to kind of give you some peace of mind about that, that, that um, I think you, we can absolutely compete successfully with the larger companies. It, that's, I'm so, yeah, I, you, I'm glad you said that. Cause uh, you know, that's, that's the main point. It's like understanding where you fit in the market, right? Yeah. Like that's why you don't go super cheap because you can't, you can't give volume unless you're going to hire like 10 dog trainers and have another revenue stream. Because really, I've looked into that quite a lot. And like a lot of these big businesses, like we have pets at home. You guys have Petco. Petco does it with dog training. You know, so you have the, you know, they offer dog training services as well. In the UK, pets at home have vets for pets and gr the groom room. And those businesses that they acquired and put them in the store, that's not money. Like that, the money from that is not even like relevant like that is not why they bought those businesses no, they just want to sell more product <laughs> yes they, right. they're trying to compete with e-commerce so by putting those businesses in store people are going to keep coming to the store right. whereas they might have just bought stuff online previously um so yeah i'm re that's really interesting see um i'm i'm conscious i want to make this really relatable to people that are just kind of just trying to uh, be successful dog trainers as well. So I have to stop myself from geeking out too much about business. Because <laughs> I love looking at stuff like that. Like that really interests me. But um, yeah, so, you know, we've spoken a little bit about, uh, you know, if you're just starting out, the other thing that really I get a lot, and I get it even from like clients, I get the odd client that will say, hey, look, like, uh, I don't know, I'm, uh, uh, I'm an accountant, right? And I just hate my job, you know? And I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to do what you're doing. You know, I've always wanted to be a dog trainer. Um, but, you know, I just, they just kind of like, um, they don't feel that it's possible or, 
you know, or they're just a lot of the times they're worried about making money, you know, like, yeah. like you said. It is a know. viable career option. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm sure that you see that a lot and I'm curious what you think of that. Yeah, I mean, like I like I said, I think I think that the perception that this is not a quote unquote real career, um, that it's not a real profession, that it's not um, you know, that it's not a way that you can make a real income. I mean, I can just say from having you know from <laughs> from sitting here working with so many trainers all around the world that that's just simply not true. I think that. There are reasons for that perception. I mean, you know, one of them is that we we are not an actual true profession in terms of having, you know, a certifying and overs- oversight body, you know, and a you know clear rules for education, and that's you know, and, and and so I think that that's you know part of what contributes to that. But I do think that a lot of that perception is something that we've internalized and that we unfortunately project out by having low rates, by not learning confident ways of talking to clients and potential clients about our services by um, I think, and some of this has gotten better, but you know, by, by not marketing ourselves professionally, having professionally written and designed websites, things like that. A lot of that I think has gotten you know, quite a, quite a bit better. Um, but the the reality is that there are people all over the place making really good living doing this and having successful careers. And I think, I do think the perception's changing. I mean, it's interesting. You said something a while back about, it sounds like you've been, you know, that you had made the decision to become a trainer in your teens. I think it's only been in the last two or three years that I've started to hear stories like that, that I started to meet uh, you know, young dog trainers at conferences who are doing this for a first career, as opposed to, you know, for so long, almost every dog trainer had had one, two, three, four careers before they finally decided to give themselves the gift of training, you know, doing what they wanted, following their passion for a living. And I think the fact that there are so many, that there's a, there's a whole generation of people who are doing this as their first career now says to me that we're making progress in and how this is perceived, right? We haven't turned the corner altogether, um, but I do think that, that 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 there is more of an awareness these days that this is something that you can quote unquote do for a living. Hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm conscious as well, like there's so many things I want to talk to you about and so little time. So I just kind of, <laughs> I want to make sure we get to everything. And one of the things I really wanted to talk to you about was day training. Cause I know that's something that you're really kind of passionate about. Um, so I'm curious um, as day training really isn't the kind of, isn't as popular over here as, as it is in the States. I think, you know, it's something that not a lot of people really are very aware of at all. So a, a lot of people even might not even be familiar uh, with what that is. So could you kind of give us a little bit of an introduction as to what it is and why it is good, both for clients and, and your business? I'll try to give you my my short version. <laughs> we do whole <laughs> courses on this, yeah. So day training is basically board and train without the boarding. So the idea is that the the trainer does the training. So if you stop and think about it for a second, Try to come up with any profession other than dog training where you hire a professional to learn how to do the professional's job. Think of one. 
Yeah. Do you hire a plumber to learn how to fix your own leak? No. Do you hire a hairdresser to learn how to cut your own hair? No. Do you hire a doctor to learn how to give your own chemo treatments? No. Do you hire a lawyer to learn how to argue your own case in court? No. It doesn't work that way. You hire professionals to do professional work for you. We are the only profession I have ever been able to come up with where we say, give me money and I will give you a bunch of homework and teach you how to do what I do. It is a really, really weird business proposition. And it is such an odd business model. And this whole, it's kind of interesting, this whole thing we've been talking about, about you know, this, this notion of this, you know, the struggle to make a living as a dog trainer. One of the reasons, in our opinion, that dog trainers have struggled in the past to make a living is because of this business model. Think about how unattractive it is for the client to be given that proposition. Pay me and I will give you a bunch of homework. And if you don't do it, you will not get the results that you were after. I mean, it's just, it, it, that was a really hard sale to make. Hmm. And it, we don't think about it that way because we think dog training is fun and we're all geeky about it and all of that. But most people aren't. They love their dog, but it doesn't mean they want to train them. They love their kids. Most people don't homeschool their own kids. It doesn't make them bad parents. It's just, that's a skill set that they, that they hire out the way we hire out most skill sets. So the idea in day training is that the trainer comes in and trains the dog. And that can be in a lot of different ways. I and mean, there's all sorts of different models for it. The most common model is just that the trainer goes to the, the dog's house and trains the dog for an hour several times a week and then sees the client for transfer sessions. One of the big pushbacks about this is the idea that, oh, but it, you know, if I train the dog as the trainer, it's not going to do any good for the client. Well, that's totally true. You have to transfer it. So what happens in day training is you still see the client every week. It's just that in between those sessions, you are getting the dog moving farther along. So that the client, when you spend time with the client, you're teaching them the skill sets they need to maintain what you've done instead of trying to teach them how to be dog trainers. Think about how many hours, months, years we all spend working on our craft. The idea that we can somehow turn somebody who's probably fairly unwilling <laughs> to do it in the first place, that we can turn them into competent dog trainers by meeting with them for an hour a week. It's preposterous. I mean, it's part of why we don't see the results we want and end up burning out. It's also part of what contributes to the sense of, of being seen as not, as not having professional knowledge and skill set. Because if what we know how to do is so simple that we can transfer it in an hour a week for a few weeks, but it's not. And that's why people don't often have the success they should. So this idea is basically just do what you were hired to do, train the dog, and then teach the client the simple skills they need to maintain that. For us personally, we use this as like a uh, supplement to our one-to-one -one training. So for example, because I feel like there are some issues where day training really suits, you know, like we use it a lot with people that have issues with lead walking, for example, right? You yeah. know, and they don't want to have to spend ages lead walk training their dog. Um, but uh, I actually have a lot of friends that are personal trainers, so they teach people fitness and stuff like that. And like, I feel like that's the most comparable one. Um, but the difference is they can't kind of give someone a six pack. <laughs> they can't, they can't make you fit. Whereas with dog training, like a lot of the time you actually can train the dog yourself. And like you said, it kind of seems foolish not to, if you can, or if you can offer that support. Um, well, the other I, thing too, is that one of the things that I hear dog trainers say so often is that what they want to do is improve the relationship 
or the bond between dogs and their people, right? That this is something that we all kind of hold this passion about. We want to make the relationships better and more positive between clients and the dogs. Well, our, our argument is that the fastest way to do that is to change the dog's behavior. And who can do that faster, right? So the client's frustrated with the dog. You can come in and change that dog's behavior way faster than the client's ever going to be able to do it. And you're going to know how to proof it, you know, how to, you know, how to really make that behavior solid. And what we find is that when you do that, the client's whole demeanor shifts. It's really interesting. They're more bought into the methodology. They're more likely to do their homework. They're far more compliant because they're really happy to protect the progress they're seeing. And they're much more invested in that than trying to create the progress themselves. And so, and their perception of the dog changes as well. It's, it's kind of like in a relationship, right? In a human relationship, you, you've had a bunch of tension and conflict. If one person just starts treating the other person better, eventually the other person changes too, right? And it's the same thing where you hope anyway, right? In most cases, you'll see a shift that way. But with in this sort of a thing, it's so interesting because when, when the source of the client's frustration toward the dog changes, their demeanor changes towards the dog too. And it becomes this really lovely cycle. And then the things that you want to teach the client about interacting with the dog differently or seeing the dog in a more empathetic way, all of that falls on much more fertile ground when you've removed the source of the initial frustration. So it's just, it's just, you can get so much more done so much more quickly. And it's, it's not going to work in every situation, although we find that, you know, in most cases, day training is very applicable. I mean, there'll be some, some situations in which it isn't. And it is something that can also be hybridized. And we've seen it hybridized really beautifully with classes and things like that, too. I mean, you, you can use it in concert with things as well. So you can either just do a straight up day training program or you can do a mix of, you know, typical coaching and day training. So let's say that we've got a case where the dog is... Um, fearful of strangers. And so it may be that initially you're not going to be able to day train that dog because you're not in that dog's inner circle. So you start, you know, you, you do some, you know, some work with the client first. And then once you're in the inner circle, you can switch then to day training, make some more progress, then bring the client back in. Um, we've also seen situations where people have done day training where they train the dogs individually, and then they do the transfer session. So like for basic manners, they do the transfer sessions and group sessions instead of one-on-one sessions to be more efficient. For example, there's just there's all kinds of models, and you could do day training in a facility setting where the dog comes in for half day. I mean, it, the structure is really flexible, but the concept of just getting the work done for the client instead of trying to teach the client to do it themselves that that's that's the key piece is can you find a way to do that? If you can find a way to do that, you're going to see better progress. And you're also going to find that it's so much easier to sell. That's one of the things that trainers who switch to day training say to us all the time, that they find it far easier to sell far more expensive day training packages than it was to sell less expensive coaching packages. Because, you know, the the difference between, you know, give me this much money and I'll do it for you versus give me this much money and I'll give you a bunch of homework. I mean, it's just so much easier to get people to say yes. Yeah, I think that works with anything. Like, anything, you expect to pay a premium if someone is doing it for you. Yeah. so that makes total sense to me. So uh, one thing we did touch upon uh, just real quick is we spoke a lot, or we kind of mentioned throughout this podcast, packages, like selling things as packages as opposed to individual sessions. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on on packages. Do you find any kind of optimum, like, 
like, I don't know, any kind of trends that you've noticed with packages or uh, even like memberships or subscriptions or any kind of anything different to the kind of like, hey, we're going to just sell you one session at a time approach, uh, which we've found, I think, like unanimously, most people find pretty unsuccessful. Yeah, yeah. We, we've gone through, we've gone through some different phases about packaging. Um, you know, it, it, like, like everything, you know, you, things evolve. Um, there are, there are several different ways to do it effectively. For most trainers, most of the time, the one that we like the best is creating packages based on the issue. So we call them preset packages. So you could customize a package, right? You can go into an initial consult, take the history, find out what's going on, set the goals, and then say, okay, based on all this, this is the package that I, you know, that, that I would like to construct for you. The upside of that is that it's customized specifically to the client and the goal. The downside is that it takes some thinking on your feet and you've got to be more confident about selling it, right? You, you have to, you know, you, you really have to, to have um, a super well-developed uh, patter, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, so one of the things we've been teaching a lot in the last number of years are preset packages. So the idea that you have a package for puppies, you have a package for basic manners, you might have a couple choices, but let's just for simplicity's sake right now. So you have a package for puppies, you have a pa package for basic manners, you have a package for leash reactivity. If you do leash reactivity, you have a package for, um, you know, getting ready, for, uh, getting the dog ready for baby. If you do that, you, but you, you have packages that are specific to needs. The advantage here is that when I go onto your website as a potential client and I have a particular issue, I can see right away that you serve that issue and you have a solution for me. Oh, wow. Okay. I guess, okay. Yes. This is what I'm struggling with. My dog is you know, lunging and growling and, and, and barking at other dogs while I'm trying to take a walk and look, they have a package for that. So then I see my need reflected. I think, oh, I found the right trainer. Um, also your advantage as the trainer is that when I call you up, I already know what I want. I already know what it costs. You have the peace of mind of knowing that I've already seen how long it's going to take and what it's going to cost. It makes the sales process for the trainer so much less stressful as well. And so that's, and it doesn't mean that, you know, occasionally you don't have to, you know, adjust something or whatnot, but you're basically putting package together that you think is going to serve the vast majority of people with, you know, issue X. Um, so that's, that's what we're, um, you're recommending for most trainers. And then within all of that, you know, there's all sorts of, you know, subtle variations and, and that sort of thing. Um, and again, you, you know, yet you can also, a lot of uh, like in, in Thrive, for example, a lot of our Thrive members are doing really, really interesting creative things with packaging. We've done a lot of work around packaging where they're hybridizing. So they might do a package like that, that includes some private training. It also includes um, classes, or they might do classes that um, have, you know, some one-on-one -on -one pieces included. And now with people also experimenting with online things, it's really interesting because, you know, we're doing, they're experimenting with packages that include both in-person and online elements. And so there's, there's all sorts of different things that can be done, but that preset package, if you're just getting kind of started with them, it's a really, really solid place just to begin. Okay. You you mentioned their Thrive and I you know obviously you've mentioned that a few times. Can you tell us a bit more about what Thrive is and and really a little bit more about uh, Dogbiz? 
Yeah, happy to. Um, Thrive is our group coaching membership program. It's pretty brand new. Uh, we started last or earlier this year uh, when the pandemic hit <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden dog trainers were just out of work. We were, you know, everyone's in lockdown and you can't see clients and, and um, we spent a lot of time running around trying to figure out what we were going to do. Um, how are we going to help people? Uh, how are we going to help our clients? How are we going to help dog trainers in general? And we hit on, we're trying to figure out how do we help the most number of people that we possibly can get through this. And we ended up launching a six week program that we called survive and thrive. It was a group coaching program. We'd never done anything like it before. Um, we launched it really fast. We put the word out through all the you know, channels we had um, around the globe. And we had a couple thousand people join us for that. And we did it. Um, we did it for free for six weeks. And we just got together every week and did these group coaching sessions. Um, and about halfway through uh, survive and thrive members started saying, you can't stop please don't stop. <laughs> we don't want this to be over in three weeks. And so at the end of the six weeks, we launched Thrive. And, um, and we launched it just to the people who were in Survive and Thrive. We took on our founding members. Um, actually, uh, January, um, uh, we are going to open it for the first time um, since we started it last year. So basically, this is a program where positive reinforcement trainers come together. We do live teaching once a week. Um, it's very interactive. It's an incredibly supportive atmosphere. Um, we pick a topic each month. We do a deep dive into that, help, uh, help members sort of figure out what their action steps are on this topic. What do they need to do given kind of what stage their business is at and what their goals are. Um, and then we support each other through that. We have specialized work sessions as well. We have a closed Facebook group where people, you know, get in and, and interact and, and help each other out. Um, one of the things that for us, I think one of the things that came out of this pandemic that is actually really positive is this realization that we really are better together. Dog training is such an isolated field. It's something that we've heard for 20 years, you know, trainers talk about, they just, you know, they feel so isolated. They feel so alone. And here, here are all these people running businesses as reluctant business members who are, you know, who have all the same fears, who have all the same doubts, who have all the same areas of lack of confidence, you know, who are desperate to talk to other trainers, but have never found, felt comfortable. And something about the moment of the pandemic just really allowed us to take the walls down and to say that we really are better together. It makes more sense to be colleagues than competitors, um, to share our great ideas, to learn how to do things better and better, that there's plenty of room and work for, you know, for, for everyone. And so we've come together as this kind of brain trust of the dog biz consultants and all of these amazing trainers, some of who are brand new and some of who have been practicing for 20 years and everything in between and are just charting the path forward now, you know, what, what, what do our businesses look like, you know, moving through this pandemic, what do they look like afterward um, and how, you know, how, and we're just finding that this group coaching bit you know, it's one of those moments and you were saying, you know, earlier where you at the beginning of the conversation where you, know, you have this realization of like, oh, OK, I gosh, I could be doing this differently, better. You know, we're sitting here thinking, why haven't we been doing this all along? And we thought, you know, the one on one works amazing and it's incredible. Um, and there are a lot of our Thrive members who still do that work with us. But there's something about this this brain trust that's amazing. I just, we just can't believe what people are accomplishing in, in the, you know, the eight months or so since we've been doing it. 
So where can people find out more and kind of get involved? Because you said this is coming up this January. So obviously, if you're listening to this podcast when it goes out, then you know, you're in prime time. <laughs> so Yeah, uh, yeah. So we are going to do an open enrollment period from January 20th to 26th. Uh, and you can find out more about the program and how it works and how to get on the wait list um, for that open enrollment at uh, dogbizsuccess.com forward slash thrive. Okay. And for anyone that is listening to this in, say, six months time and has missed that open enrollment, uh, you know, where can they find out more about working with you? Same thing. You can go to dogbizsuccess.com forward slash thrive and get on the wait list. Um, we'll, okay. we're, the plan is to open probably about once a year to new members, um, partly just because it, you know, it is a really tight community um, and we're sort of taking people through a process. And so we're just be really careful about making sure that when we bring new people on, we're ready to onboard them, get them really ramped up and ready for success and ready to jump in and, and do that work. And so, um, yeah, so if you, if you've missed that open enrollment period, get on the wait list because that's where, you know, that that's where you'll find out first. And um, when, when we're opening again, and we, we might do a second opening in 21, but we haven't, we haven't quite decided yet. Um, but we know that, that, uh, the 20th to the 26th of January, we'll be welcoming new members and we have five members from all over the world. Um, so every time on wherever you are, um, we, we welcome you. And I think that's part of the power of it too, is that there's ideas coming from everywhere and from so many different perspectives. And, um, and that's part of the fun of it as well. All right, super. Well, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. It has been really good to talk to you and a great opportunity to kind of combine uh, dog training and business. And I know that this is a topic that helps so many people. So it's, it's really been great to have you. Well, thank you, Nick. And thanks for um, being willing to geek out about business stuff. I love it. (laughs) All right. See you. Take care. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. That was a lot of fun. If you want to check out Veronica's stuff, then check out the description of this podcast. I'll be sure to leave some of her links in there. And if you have a moment uh, to do me a favor, then I would really appreciate it if you would leave a review for the podcast on whatever app you're on and of course you can join us over on the facebook group dog talk with nick benger podcast discussion group you can also follow me on social media just by searching for nick benger and on i'm also on instagram as nick benger dog trainer so i hope you enjoyed that episode and till the next one see ya